Thank you, Ken. So you mentioned my name is Steve Blummer. I am the pastor of family and adults here at Hope Chapel. And it is a privilege of mine to be speaking with you the first Sunday of 2019. Pretty excited about that? Well, today's message may seem a little odd being the first message of the new year because it's not a message about how to develop spiritual habits or those kind of things. It has nothing to do with the calendar. It's just where we are in the middle of our study in the Gospel of Mark. We started back in mid October, and Pastor Neil and Ken took a break from that series during the holidays. But in order to finish that series by Easter, we've got to get back into it. And so we're just starting where we left off, and that happens to be in Mark chapter 6. Well, we're going to see in Mark chapter 6, it's a Jesus getting rejected in his own hometown. He's sending out to 12 disciples with instructions on what to do when people reject the message and then about the beheading of John the Baptist. So you can see why it's a little weird starting 2019 with this message. But I do think that as we go along, this is an encouragement for us, and perhaps an encouragement for us for this year as we begin to share our faith with others and invite people to have some dialogue about church and Jesus, and perhaps this is a message we may have to fall on throughout the year. To give you some reminders of where we are, to get you caught up, maybe this is your first time in this series, we're in a book called The Gospel of Mark, which is one of four books in the New Testament that talk about the words and works of Jesus. We're told that if everything that Jesus did and said were written down, the world could not contain enough books. So we need to take deep consideration in what was recorded, that this is the highlights of his ministry. It's also noted to say that just because it's not written in the Gospels doesn't mean that Jesus didn't talk about it. Sometimes people will say, well, Jesus didn't say anything about that, and that would be an important thing for him to say. Well, I don't think that's fair. We don't have everything that Jesus talked about. The Gospel of Mark is believed to be the earliest of the Gospel records, the shortest book. It's thought that Matthew, Luke, and even John Uh, launched their accounts off of Mark's into their longer accounts. Mark doesn't spend a whole lot of time in any of the stories. He's going through the progression really fast. He says, Jesus did this, then this happened. Jesus did that, then that happened, and this and that. Mark starts off his book, not even with the birth of Jesus, just jumps right into the ministry. He starts off with John, this crazy guy in the wilderness who's speaking a message of repentance, baptizing people. He's wearing this camel-haired cloak, And right away, it's known that this spiritual awakening that John is preparing is something different. John is just not calling the people to go back to the Old Testament, to go back to the basics, to get back to the original law. John is doing something unique as he lays down the foundation for the coming Messiah, the Savior of the world. As Jesus comes on the scene, he blows everybody away with what he has to say and his miracles. There were some who were quick followers, some who just went along to look at the show to see what was going to happen, some who were skeptical and they eventually walked away, and then there were some who downright hated Jesus. Jesus was destroying their worldview, their way of living, their reputation, their identity, their way of thinking, I'm good with God. Oh, no, you're not. 
Mark seems to go back and forth between those who followed after Jesus and those who doubted and questioned and rejected Jesus. Even in Mark chapter 3, we've already seen his family saying, Jesus, you're going a little overboard. You're being crazy. You're out of your mind. You have some mental problems going on here. The scribes are thinking Jesus is a part of Satan's team. In fact, he's the ruler of the demons. That's how he's able to do all of this. And so when we get to the three accounts in in Mark chapter 6, we see a common theme of rejection. When you speak out about the truth, when you speak out about God, it's not always going to be well received. It can be downright dangerous sometimes. But there is much encouragement for us today. And that you and I should not stop telling people about Jesus. So let's dive into our text. Mark chapter 6, we'll start in verse 1. encourage you to use a Bible if you have one. There's a Bible in the chair in front of you if you don't. If you don't own a Bible, you can grab a Bible in the lobby on your way out. Don't take the one that's in the chair. We'll need it next week. But Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 1. He, Jesus, went away from there. There is Jesus often just bounced around from different city to city on the Sea of Galilee, and he's just ministering there. And he came to his hometown, which was Nazareth, and his disciples followed him. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished. Where did this man get these things, they said? What is this wisdom given to him? And how are these miracles performed by his hands? Isn't this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And aren't his sisters here with us? So they were offended by him or tripped by him, stumbled by him. Then Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his household. So he was not able to do any miracles there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Now he was going around the villages in a circuit teaching. He summoned the twelve and began to send them out in pairs and gave them authority over unclean spirits. He instructed them to take nothing for the road except a walking stick. No bread, no traveling bag, no bunny in their belts. They were to wear sandals, but not put on an extra shirt. Then he said to them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that place. If any place does not welcome you and people refuse to listen to you, when you leave there, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and preached that people should repent. And they were driving out many demons, anointing many sick people with oil and healing. King Herod heard of this because Jesus' name had become well known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that's why supernatural powers are at work in him. But others said, he's Elijah. Still others said, he's a prophet, like one of the prophets. When Herod heard of it, he said, John the Baptist, the one I beheaded, has been raised. For Herod himself had given orders to arrest John and to chain him in prison on account of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. John had been telling Herod, 
it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias held a grudge against him and wanted to kill him. But she could not because Herod was in awe of John and was protecting him, knowing he was a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard him, he would be very disturbed, yet would hear him gladly. Now an opportune time came on his birthday when Herod gave a banquet for his nobles, military commanders, and the leading men of Galilee. When Herodias' own daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. The king said to the girl, Ask me whatever you want, and I'll give it to you. So he swore oaths to her. Whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half my kingdom. Then she went out and said to her mother, What should I ask for? John the Baptist's head, she said. Immediately she hurried to the king and said, I want you to give me John the Baptist's head on a platter right now. Though the king was deeply distressed because of his oaths and the guests, he did not want to refuse her. The king immediately sent for an executioner and commanded him to bring John's head. So he went, beheaded him in the prison, brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. Then the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard about it, they came and removed his corpse and placed it in the tomb. Well, you see why this is quite a unique story for the beginning of the year. We're going to talk about quite a bit of things this morning. For most of the message, I'm going to be talking to those who have already accepted Jesus Christ by faith. If you're here just checking church out, wondering what God is all about, or someone dragged you here, you haven't made a profession of faith towards Jesus Christ, you're kind of getting a sneak peek into a family discussion. But I do have a word for you towards the end of the message. For us who have accepted Jesus Christ, first of all, we need to understand that we are still called to preach this message of repentance. You and I are still called to preach this message of repentance. It was the message of Christ. It was the message of the disciples. It was the message of John the Baptist. And that same message is for us today. Repentance. Repentance means to turn from one's direction to the other direction. The imagery is that all people, all of humanity, myself included, you're included, all of us since we've been born, are crawling, walking, running away from God. We're going in the wrong direction. And repentance says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, of course, when you talk about repentance, it's not going to be a very desirable discussion. Repentance partly says, you're doing it wrong. You're going in the wrong direction. Repentance partly says, you are a sinner that is in judgment of God. Now, you know that if you start talking like that, you start talking about sin, it's going to get dicey, right? No one likes to feel that they are guilty. No one wants them pointing out, let me point out what you're doing wrong. I don't like to have my sins pointed out. I don't like to feel guilty. I don't like when my wife reaches over and taps me on the leg or the shoulder to let me know I'm doing something wrong. I don't like to feel conviction. I want to Believe that maybe I've got it all together sometimes. That I'm a good person. I'm doing good things. But it has nothing to do with my level of goodness. How good is good enough? It has nothing to do with how good you are or the good things that you're doing. 
Repentance says that you and I don't understand how the perfection and the holiness of God is so high. And the brokenness that even the smallest sin causes. Now, of course, we don't go at it and pound on people because of their sins, because we're told in other places that the judgment that we use, that's the same judgment that will come upon us. That's the famous defensive verse. Oh, you're not supposed to judge. Doesn't the Bible say that? Judge not, lest you be judged. And I'm kind of, I'm okay. Judge me, because I need to be judged. I'm judging myself. I need to know that I am a sinner in need of a Savior. I need to know that all sin is equal before God. Whether it's lying, adultery, drunkenness, stealing, sexual immorality, worshiping of idols, jealousy, unrighteous anger, or not doing what I know that I should do. All of that is sin. And all sin separates us from God. I am as far away from God as the next person without Jesus Christ. And I am as close to God as the next person with Jesus Christ. So as we preach a message of repentance, we're doing so with the understanding that I too am a sinner that needs forgiveness. We care for that person. We care for their eternal destiny. And we understand that we aren't better than them. All of us, when we're without Christ, we're heading in the wrong direction. So we don't preach to condemn. We preach to rescue. Because repentance also says there is a better way. Repentance says God is tapping on your shoulder in anticipation and excitement for you just to simply turn around and He wants to embrace you with His love and forgiveness. Because God loves you. God loves me. He loves everyone. There's not a person in this world that God doesn't love. And He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for all of our sins. Because there was sin standing between us and him. So we preach a message of hope through repentance. A message of light amidst darkness. That light is God's love that shines in the darkness. The darkness does exist. A message of repentance is one that turns people from sin towards God. And it's a message that you and I are called to still proclaim today. Jesus commands us as his followers in Matthew chapter 28 to go and make disciples, to make other followers of Christ in all nations. And just as he sent out the 12 in this passage on mission, he still sends us out on that mission. And the good news is just as Jesus empowered them, Jesus empowers us. Matthew 28, all power and authority in heaven and on earth is given to Christ. If God is for us, who can be against us? There is power in that message. You've probably noticed, though, that we don't have the same power that was given to the disciples today. God is still able to heal, and we are called to pray for healing. But we have a different power with our mission, and that power is the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we get tripped up in wishing, oh, I wish I had the power to heal, to cast out demons. And I'm not saying that we don't. And we should pray for those things. But I think those things were given to the disciples and the apostles for that specific time, for that spiritual awakening. We'll see later in Mark that Jesus was saying, I am giving you something different. I'm giving you, the next generations, 
the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit arrived as Jesus ascended into heaven after he rose from the grave. And he lives within every person who accepts Jesus Christ. The gift of the Holy Spirit, we're told, wasn't come to do the same thing as to heal, to validate his work. Jesus says in John chapter 14, 15, and 16, and you can look this up later, that the Holy Spirit came to primarily to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment, to testify about Jesus, and to guide all believers in the truth. So think about that. The Holy Spirit is at work when you and I talk about Jesus. We talk about repentance. We talk about forgiveness. We talk about God's love. The Holy Spirit is at work. There's power in that message. It's the same message that Jesus proclaimed. It's why He came. He came to preach salvation. Even in Mark chapter 1, we hear where Jesus is saying the crowds are gathering around Him because of all the healing, which was great, but that was slowing His mission down. He told His disciples, we got to get out of here. we got to go to other towns so that I can preach because that is why I came. The healing was a byproduct or a tool to get people's attention and to validate His authority. And I believe the way the message is real and is validated today is when you and I feel convicted. When the Holy Spirit testifies to our spirit the truth of Jesus. When you and I and the people we talk to feel convicted about sin, that's something we shouldn't want to dismiss. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Just as last week as Prin was, Ken was preaching about us to deal with our baggage in our life, the good and the bad baggage that stands before us in front of God from us following God first, that's where we feel convicted and we've got to deal with that. That's the Holy Spirit working in our lives. The moment you just mention the name of Jesus, people are going to feel uncomfortable. They don't want to talk about that. Paul says, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. They're going to feel uncomfortable. They're going to feel convicted. You talk talking about Jesus. They're going to get upset and they're going to say, you're judging me. And you and I need to understand and help them understand. It's not me who is convicting you. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And God is not just convicting you so that you feel bad about yourself and you enter into the cycle of shame and woe is me. That's not the point. The feeling of conviction is saying, hey, you're going in the wrong direction. Turn around. I'm right here. I'm welcome. I'm opening to give you forgiveness and embrace you and tell you where you could go, where you should go. That's the point of feeling conviction. Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world. And so we don't condemn the world either. But we share that message because he came to save the world. And I think that should give us much confidence as we go out and share the truth of salvation. For those you and I who have accepted that truth by faith, it gives us confidence to proclaim the message to others, knowing that God is at work in such a message of love and salvation through Jesus. Now, of course, we know that when we begin to talk like that, some are not going to believe. Some are going to reject us. When some reject, it's not about you. It's about them and their view of God. 
It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about their view of God. Think about the accounts that we read. In the account of Jesus, they rejected him because they couldn't wrap their minds around his supernatural ability and insightful words given whom they remember him to be when he was a little boy. You know, he told the disciples to simply just shake the dust off your feet as a testimony to them as you enter a town that refuses the message. In the account of John the Baptist, John's imprisonment and subsequent death was because of the conviction that Herodias felt. John was just simply exposing the truth of her sin. Sometimes there's nothing more that we can do. We can't force people to believe in Christ. We can't convince them to always believe. And again, I think that's one of the problems with wishing we had these supernatural powers so that I can convince you. We wish we had these mighty works where we can shake the earth and do things for God so that you would believe. But many people who saw the mighty works of Jesus, they walked away. And we're blown away like Jesus is blown away. How could they walk away? I wish I was there. I wish I could see those things. That would be so amazing. But just because their eyes were open to see does not mean that their heart was open to believe. It's not about you. It's about them. For John, he was obedient to the mission, no matter the person, no matter the price. And we could have said, well, maybe, John, you could have toned down your... Your message there, you could have put it at a different angle, you know, uh, maybe you should have done things a little bit differently so your, your ministry could have lasted a little longer. But we find out that Herod was glad to hear from John, even though the message was disturbing. Herod recognized that John was a righteous man and he seemed to respect his message. But there was a lot of things, a lot of obstacles for Herod. He knew perhaps he would have to change the way that he ruled. And he certainly had to deal with his wife, Herodias, who certainly did not like John at all. She wanted him dead. She felt the conviction. She did not like his message. It interrupted her plan for power and prestige. And maybe that's why she divorced her first husband and married his brother. Because this Herod was over more, he could inherit more of the kingdom, and she wanted more. So as you and I, we talk about Jesus, people are going to be hesitant because of what that might mean for them. You know, they worked hard to get where they are. And they know that God may ask them to give some of that up. That's going to shake their worldview. It's going to shake their pursuit of worldly success. We think about those who rejected Jesus directly in his own hometown. People who had heard and they saw Jesus, they saw what he was doing, they were astonished by his words and his works, but they had never seen anything like this. It was new. And they just couldn't wrap their minds around, here's Jesus. We knew this boy when he was little. He lives in the carpenter's home, the son of Mary. We know his brothers and sisters. How is this normal boy uneducated, son of a blue-collared worker, how is he able to do these things? It's just so hard for me to understand. And some of you experienced this after your conversion. You know, you've lived a life that didn't reflect God and Christ at all. And now you accepted Christ and your life's changed. 
But your friends or your family, start, they start looking at you oddly. You're talking about church and Jesus, and they remember you. You hang out with them, and you did the same things. They remember when you went and did this and that. And that's a part of your story, and it can become a powerful part of your testimony for some who hear it. But for some, it's just an uncertain hesitation. It's almost offensive to them. Who, who do you think you are? You're all of a sudden good now? Ah, That's not you. I know the real you. This will all change. You'll see. And who do you think you are talking to me about sin when I know what you've done? For the spiritual leaders, think about them. They also stumbled over what Jesus was doing. They were thinking, we are spiritual leaders. We know the scriptures. How are we not able to do any of this? What would that mean for them? They had given their whole lives in the pursuit of something that was wrong. Could they risk repenting and saying, Jesus is right and we're wrong? How would they support their families? So many questions, so many stumbling blocks. And all of this has nothing to do with me or you. There's just a lot for them to consider. It's between them and God. And for you, you just need to understand that God is still in the business of using the unwise to confuse the wise. God is still in the business of using the weak to overpower the strong. You're changed. You may not get it right all the time. You're not perfect, but it's not about being perfect. It's about just trusting in God and following him. That's what the disciples were asked to do. The disciples were saying, hey, go and just trust in God. Don't carry extra money or extra clothing. Just believe in the power of the message. Because there is power in the message. Trust God. Some people will follow. Some will reject. Don't take it personally. That's on them. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting Jesus. Don't stop sharing the message. I think it's good to see how Jesus was rejected in Nazareth before he sent out the disciples who were going to be rejected. If people rejected Jesus directly, they're certainly going to reject you. And we don't have to try to have all the answers. Well, what kind of questions are they going to ask me? I don't have all the answers. The disciples didn't have all the answers either. They listened to Jesus preach and teach, and then later they would say, Jesus, what did that mean? I have no idea. They had questions. They didn't even know who Jesus was until later. You're not going to have all the answers to all the questions. It's impossible. You and I are called to trust in God, to trust in the power of the message, and to preach that message of repentance and salvation. Well, the truth is that you and I, we don't know what could happen. See, even those who reject, in their rejection, in their unbelief, that's not the end of their journey towards faith. We don't know what would happen. Some who rejected Jesus, they later received him. Even with his own, in his own family, it was after his death that some believed. We, we know that James, his brother that is listed here, became a leader within the church in Jerusalem. And most likely, he's the author of the book of James in the New Testament. Joseph is probably the author of the book of Jude. So there are some who believed in Jesus who didn't believe in Jesus before. For some of us, it's an instant thing. There are moments when a light bulb just seems to turn on and we get it. We understand our sin and understand our need for a Savior. 
And that was me when I was six years old. I was going to church, heard about Jesus, heard about sin, heard about salvation, heard about God, saw Jesus change my mom. And I had questions for her. I had questions for the teachers. But there was a moment when I said, that's me. I'm a sinner. I'm heading in the wrong direction. I know so the way I treat my brother, the way I'm disobedient to my parents. I'm a sinner who needs to turn towards Jesus. And for me, it was a moment in my life. It didn't mean that the rest of my life was perfect and I got it. I was following God the whole time. But it means at that moment, I decided I knew that I needed God in my life and I turned towards God. For some others, it's, it's a long, slow journey. They're going to church. They're hanging around with Christ's followers. They're hanging around the teachings of Jesus. And then one day they just realize, huh, I like where I'm going. I, I like following this Jesus guy. I, I don't want to turn back and go the other way when some others are turning back. I'm going to keep following Jesus. And they make that commitment. So from now on, I'm going to follow Jesus. For those who haven't made a decision to follow after Christ, this is where I want to talk to you for a few moments. See, the common denominator that we see in this passage, and we know from our stories as well, is that for God to do great things, there needs to be faith. Faith. Believing, trusting, following after Christ. At some point, there's a belief that you're a sinner in need of a Savior, and Jesus is the answer. People turn to God by faith. They believe, even though they can't see, even though they don't understand, they just open up their hearts to God. When there is no faith, Jesus could could do no work because of their unbelief. There's a direct correlation between faith and the work of God. We see this throughout the Gospels. In the previous chapter, in chapter 5, there's a woman who believed that if she could only just touch a piece of the clothing of Jesus, she would be healed. She believed. There was a guy named Jairus whose daughter was ill, and the daughter was healed because of the man's faith. Jesus is able to do much when there is faith. The Bible says in Hebrews, without faith it is impossible to please God. Without faith, Jesus is unable to do great things in his own hometown, in his whole household, among his relatives. Faith is not just knowing information about God. It's not just about coming to church and learning things about God. There were plenty of people who heard the things of God, who were following after Jesus, but weren't his followers. It takes a personal step of believing and accepting. What I find interesting is Jesus has already told us that it takes faith the size of a mustard seed, a tiny, tiny seed, to do amazing things. God isn't asking you to try to get it all figured out, and when you have it all figured out, then turn to Him. No, He's saying, just, just believe just a little bit. And I'm right here to offer you forgiveness and to embrace you. But it's hard for God to work when you refuse faith. And there may be many reasons for you to not take that step of faith. 
As Pastor Neil talked about on Christmas Eve, maybe it was another Christian, maybe it was another church or a pastor who put a sour taste of God in your mouth. Or maybe it's because of your view of God based upon your circumstances and situations. You look at what has happened to you and say, how do I take that and match it up with God's love? It just doesn't make sense. Maybe you've got a lot of questions and it's just hard for you to make sense of everything. Or maybe you're just not sure you're ready to take that step of repentance. You're not ready to give up what you think God is going to ask you to give up. And what I'm praying for you this morning is that you would just push out all of those voices. The voices in your mind that's trying to validate what you're listening to, the voices that's trying to push away conviction that you're feeling, and just listen to the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. Just as the Holy Spirit speaks to me and speaks to everyone in this room. You may feel uncomfortable. You may feel convicted about something. That is the Holy Spirit working. He's tapping on your heart saying, there's a better way. Turn to me and I'll offer you forgiveness through my love. In a few moments, I'm going to give you that opportunity to listen and to respond. For the rest of us who've already accepted the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, our mission is clear. We must continue to proclaim the message of salvation through Jesus Christ. It's a message that you and I accepted by faith because someone else was telling us about it. And so we have to carry that on and give others the opportunity to, to hear that message just as we did. Don't be bashful. Don't get discouraged. Don't get disappointed when people start rejecting that message. Maybe we need to be like Jesus as he sent out the disciples by two. Partner up with someone. Say, I need you to pray with me as I go and talk to this colleague or this family member. Maybe rally around your life group and say, how can we pray for one another and and make an impact in our community with this message? Some are going to reject that message. Some are going to get real upset. They're going to get in your face. But you just need to understand God's at work, just as he was at work in your life. Don't take it personally. Don't get defeated. Keep proclaiming, because God loves them, and God wants them to join his family. So let's bow our heads and spend some moment in prayer. This is that opportunity I wanted to give those who have not taken that step personally of accepting Jesus Christ. Now is that opportunity. You're in great company. We've all been there where you are. Where God is speaking. And you can feel him tapping on your heart. You can feel him nudging at you. Don't deny that feeling. That's God. And if God is tugging on your heart, I'm encouraging you to take that step of faith today. To call out to God. Say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm heading in the wrong direction. I want to follow after you. And God is there offering forgiveness. You could do that in the seat where you're at, or you can come up as the music will start in just a moment. I'll be here to pray with you, talk with you about that, if that's you. If you made that decision in the seat where you're at, I just enjoy you telling me about that. You can tell me directly or write that on the connection card.
God, for the rest of us who have already accepted that message, we are challenged with this mission to go and tell other people about your love. How, Jesus, you died on the cross for our sins. That's not always a comfortable message to communicate. But, God, give us the love for others, the love that you have. Be open and honest and share with them our own story, our own journey of faith. And God, don't allow us to get defeated or re- because of the rejection. Keep us strong to communicate that message. We need your help in doing this this year. In Jesus' name, amen. The band's going to make their way up.